hey, Evan. Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Run Rundown. Let's, Let's go. go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another show. Uh, Evan, how you doing? I am doing great, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing well. We're trying a new thing. Uh, the listeners don't know this, but we are trying. Uh, we usually have a video, and and we're trying with no video this time. Um, I think it's going to be interesting. Going to be an experiment. Uh, if there's one thing that we've been that's been a, a common thread throughout all of our episodes, it's experimentation. That is true. Um, I, it, it's weird not. I don't know. I'm used to seeing you when I talk to you, so I feel like I cue off of things that you're about to do. So this might get a little weird because um, we were like pretty good about like waiting for the other person to talk, but now I don't think that's going to work this way. So that we might step on each other. Yeah, it'll it'll be an adventure. Uh, it'll be an adventure. Um, let's see. So what's what's been going on with you this week? Anything anything good? Anything interesting? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I, I don't actually know. Apparently I have to talk to lawyers if I talk about anything at Amazon. So, uh, I did nothing this week, <laughs> uh, in my, <laughs> in regular life. Uh, it's just been sort of a blur. Still, still like starting new job stuff. I'm still like less than a month in. So, um, you know, been like really learning a lot of things outside of work, inside of work, which is good. My brand is still sort of bursting at the seams. That'll probably stabilize. But I did some cool things like, you know, looking at our working on design system stuff. And uh, there's some there's some fun things to be done. And I did my first presentation at a lunch and learn, which is always fun. Nice. Um, so I hope to do many more and make people really annoyed uh, by me because I'm just going to present things all the time. Nice. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, a, it's like a surprising way to, to like meet people and, um, kind of like, yeah, I guess just meet people at the company. I remember that when I first started, uh, where I am, I, I gave uh, a presentation or two and people just like come up to you and they're like, Hey, that was a good presentation. Like, you know, weeks later you'll and you'll be like, you just kind of, it's a good way to build a community, I guess. That's exactly what I, what I want to do is, um, there's a bunch of really smart folks here. So I kind of want to, uh, get out there and kind of like get people to see me and talk to me. And then hopefully I can build some friendships across these teams because the company's so big. Uh, so you kind of have to go like, you have to try really hard to make connections. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, let's see. So I was, again, I was listening back to our episode and I had, I, it's funny, like listening back. Cause while you're in the middle of talking about something, uh, you kind of like don't have as many thoughts as you do when you're listening back to it. And it's funny because you and I, I think of us as these like testing people, like we're, we're, we're people who like to test code. And yep. when I listened back to that episode, we felt like we were a little bit like, uh, testing's fine, but like whatever. And I'm kind of like, it, it didn't sound, it didn't feel like us. And, and like specifically, I think the part that caught my, caught my ear was when we were talking about, um, code coverage, which I think, uh, you know, it's not like I disagree with what we said, but I was thinking about how we we're talking about like 20% code coverage. If it's the right 20%, that should be enough. And listening and, you know, thinking about it more, I was like, I would be pretty uncomfortable if, if I had a code base with 20% coverage. Even if it was like the right 20%, I'd be like, this is pretty low. 
I had two two mea culpas actually. One, not mea culpas, but just like general, I'm embarrassed moments. One is um, from the pre-act signals episode. I feel like I word vomited so much stuff that didn't really pass the sniff test on second listen. Like, I think I described like something about context and listening back. I was like, "What does that's not true?" And then uh, also, we were just like. This is dumb, but it's, it's like a <laughs> we like yell at clouds. They're doing a great yeah. job over there. So I want to say that. The other thing with yeah. testing is I was talking about code coverage. Uh, like I've, I've become some enlightened person where I'm like, I don't require code coverage numbers anymore. I absolutely do. And like I, I definitely push for like at least 75%, 80% code coverage because it's like a decent enough metric. And I was like, we'll just only cover your critical path code. And I agree with the article. That's not how I actually live. So now I feel silly. Yeah, I, it was kind of the same thing. Like, uh, But I, I think the important takeaway is like, be strategic about where your coverage is. You don't just like cover blanket, cover your 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 code and assume it's it's good. Yeah, do as I say, not as I do. Um, that's the exactly. moral of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have an important question for you. What is it? I think you know what it is. Uh, what you read? First off, that music every time makes me play the air keys and I can't stop. And it's like every time I think, <laughs> and I'm like playing in the air jazz. Like I, yep. I hope I've that's done it the every case time. for every single one of our listeners too. Our music slaps. Uh, that's what the kids say, I was told. <laughs> All of our music is excellent. And if you disagree, yep. take it up with Kevin McLeod or yeah. <laughs> whatever or, they got. Or Hina. Hina. Anyways, yep. okay. The article we're reading today is the 10X Programmer Myth uh, on a blog that I've never seen before, but now I really want to read all of it. It's called simplethread.com. The author is Justin Etheridge, uh, probably someone that I should know, like the jQuery guy and don't. Um, but anyways, so the article <laughs> is talking about the 10X Programmer Myth, which is that the 10X Programmer uh, doesn't exactly exist as it's been described. Uh, the article is talking about like, you know, is there ever anybody who is 10 times more productive than your normal developer and goes into some of the caricatures? And these are all exaggerated archetypes of engineers of like the type of engineers that people think are 10x, but really kind of can hurt you. Uh, we we get in, we can get into those. And then the type of engineers that um, like what, what type of archetypes are really actually more productive than your average engineer. And, and those like the qualities you sort of want to embody. And we can kind of cover those. Um, I'll just start real quick with the archetypes that make you think you have a 10x engineer. And a 10x engineer, yep. again, someone who's 10 times more productive than your average developer, not your worst developer, but your average. Um, and they're the code fountain, which is the person who's like produces a never ending stream of code. Uh, the point hog who always picks the easy tasks. The overcomplicator. I love this one. Turns everything mm -hmm. into a Rude Goldberg machine. <laughs> and the 80 percenter, which gets tasks done, dot, 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 almost. Uh, so maybe we start with those. To be fair, getting tasks completely done, the the last 20 percent is the hardest part. But <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Just don't do that. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you want to start talking about these about these? And then later, uh, later on, we'll get into the, the actual, you know, the actual 10x or, you know, whatever actual kind of qualities that you should be looking for in developer. Yeah, definitely. Is there anyone that you want to start with? 
Um, yeah, my so my favorite one is in this is in the second list. My favorite name, but let's definitely start with the first list. That'll be a little bit of forward promo. Um, we're going to be talking about my favorite one a, a little tease. later. As a tease, so yeah, let's start uh, start at the top. The Code Fountain. It's just like somebody who writes literally ten times as much code as everyone else. Um, I feel like I've seen this. I've seen this. I mean, I think we've all probably seen this. Somebody who's just really prolific with with code and. I think even if it's good quality code, this can be a problem because like, or it, it at least can be like, it's not like problematic necessarily, but can it be a net negative? Because if somebody is writing a ton, a ton of code, uh, no matter how good it is, other people are going to have to like consume that code and work with that code. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for like thinking about a problem for a long time and then writing less code. You know, sometimes it takes a lot of code to write, to write something, but if you can get away with writing, uh, you know, 10 times less code, then you might be, you might be putting yourself in a long-term better situation. Yeah, I think so. All of these are uh, heavy caveats. It's like, it depends. It's different for different situations. Cause they mentioned in this, like for, for startups, someone who just is like a never ending stream of code might be good because, um, you don't really care about team dynamics quite yet. And you're trying to get product market fit or whatever. So you're just like writing as many features as possible and throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall for larger established teams. This is, um, I've definitely seen this. One of the upsides of this is yes, you get tons of features really fast or bug fixes or whatever. One of the downsides is for everybody else who is not nearly as fast, you're, you, you kind of change the curve. Uh, so if you ever remember like back in school, you get like graded on a curve. Um, when you have somebody who is like extremely prolific, when you go to do sprint estimation, scoping, your product managers, your stakeholders see this 10X developer and it fundamentally can alter how they see productivity and, and expectations around productivity. So I've seen like those 10X developers uh, consistent or like the code fountains consistently underestimate because like that would take me an hour, you know, that, that'd be like, you know, that's, that's 30 minutes. I could do that right away. And then yeah. everybody else is like, ah, it's going to take me three days. And then they don't yeah. want to say that out loud. <laughs> so, they, right. you know, it, like it can skew the team, uh, because not everybody is the code fountain. I've never been this, uh, I've never been the person who writes a million lines of code. I'm just not that good. So is what it is. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily like you need to be good to do it. It's just like, it's like, you know, uh, somebody can write a whole bunch of, you know, somebody can write 1500 page novels and they can also not be good. Uh, you don't, just because you write a lot of code doesn't necessarily make me good. I know. But, I was tongue in cheek. Yeah. But, um, but it, the other thing I like about this article is like all of these things he does, he, I think you mentioned this, but he calls these out as like, these are characters. So like. I just like that, that this article has a really good tone. It's just, it's like, doesn't take itself too seriously. I really like it, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's an interesting, uh, thought about like what happens when you get the whole team and, and there's this kind of like the, they're, they're ruining the curve basically for everybody. They're throwing off the estimates. Um, cause there are kind of like different ways that you can think about breaking up tickets on a team and breaking, break up work on a team is, um, Either you sort of know who's going to be taking the ticket when you write the ticket or you write in the ticket with like anybody could take this in mind. And when you have one person who writes 10 times as much code as everybody else, it's kind of hard to, you know, not assume they're going to pick up certain tickets. And I just don't think that's like the best team dynamic. Yeah, I, I think in general, like we have seen a lot of TV. I don't know, whenever you see like programmers 
put on television, uh, which isn't very often, but it's like usually the code fountain. It's like they're just this cheap. They go in the back and they're just better than literally everybody else and they write all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, Hacker Man. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking of with the stupid gloves that just type like a million characters a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think with, with bigger teams, um, I would much rather see somebody write just the right code than a ton of, a ton of code because I, I often think like this also matters – if I see a like an entry level or like a, a more junior engineer that's a code fountain, I'm like, sweet, good for you, because um, I think that's, you know, that that means that uh, their craft at that level is taking a problem and executing with limited scope. And then if they're like super fast, that means they're really really good and maybe ready to kind of start picking up new skills. If I see this at the senior level or above, that's a problem. Um, so I think this all matters also, like where you are in your career for the code fountain because if you're a senior engineer or above your staff or whatever you are literally taking food away from somebody else if you do this um mm. and mm -hmm. i think that that's a problem because you should you shouldn't be the like picking up stuff because you're really good at it and it's really easy for you you should go after the hard problems and let this stuff that's a learning opportunity for other engineers um you know give that to them yeah and i think that actually gets to kind of my the whole thing uh, I was thinking while I was reading this article, um, maybe we talk about, I, I'll kind of like mention this now, but I think it's probably a good topic to, to end on, which is like what I think of when I think of a 10X engineer isn't necessarily somebody who, you know, is 10 times more productive in isolation than anybody else, but it's somebody who can who can kind of multiply themselves by mentoring and by being a, a leader, like a peer, even if they're not a manager or tech lead, being like a peer leader, you know, kind of uh, not themselves producing 10 times as much work as the average developer, but like raising everybody up, you know, X percent so that, uh, in aggregate, you know, they, their effect is that of raising up the production overall by 10 times. Oh yeah. That, that gets me actually to the next one I'd like to talk about, which is the overcomplicator turns everything into a rude Goldberg machine. Um, this is sort of related because you can write a ton of code uh, you can write stuff that's incredibly complicated, but to me, the the really impressive thing is if you put all your ego aside and you write the thing that is the simplest version that gets the job done, that is the most readable thing um, and that it's like well-documented and well-tested. But overcomplicating, when I see these super um, impressive artifices in code, I often think like, well, how the hell do you maintain that? Like, how do you, how does anybody else know how this works? And that to me is like a net detractor, although it looks attractive at first because like, wow, look at this. This is, gives us so much uh, opportunity. It's scalable. I can do so many things with it. And then the, almost never do that, does that pan out. Like is the abstraction right or is like the all the scalable things that you can do with it ever realized? I mean, it happens sometimes, but oftentimes not, especially in front-end development. It, it's like the permutations for how like the features that you're going to develop or the, the way that users actually touch your app are almost never what you expect. Um, so when I see this overcomplication, it's like, how do you become like a negative 10 X developer is you do this, but you look good while you do it. Uh, it's a huge bummer to watch for me. Yeah, definitely. Like uh, the, the overcomplicator is a good one. Cause I, I, I totally agree. I think it's, you are net negative. You're bringing down the team, even though it might look like you individually are being more productive. Um, the, the early abstraction is a perfect example. I think it takes a, uh, I think it takes some restraint to not 
early abstract, it's so easy to look at three instances of the same thing that looks so similar and say, oh, I should create an abstraction for these things. Um, I think it takes some restraint to not do that and say, I'm going to live with this duplicated code for a little while, call it tech debt or call it whatever you want. Um, but like, I'm going to live with it because I want to make sure that before I build the right abstraction, it, it, it's not the wrong abstraction. And I think it also takes actually like a, a team of, of restraint because I think... Um, I think it's like it, not just the, it doesn't have to get past just the individual developer, but when you're going through code review, you know, it's so easy for a code reviewer to see the same thing and say, oh, can we just like dry this up a little bit? But like uh, I, I consider myself pretty lucky to to work with people who say like I acknowledge that there is some some uh, duplication here, but let's hold off because we want to keep this simple. Um, yeah, the, the overcomplicator also reminds me of something that um, that another Evan that, that we, that we both know said, uh, I think he was the first one who like introduced this topic to me, although it's, it's come up a number of times since then, but it's the, the idea that there's a difference between easy and simple. Um, and, and until you're exposed to that idea, I think that you can think that those two things are the same. I think I did. Um, but easy is the opposite of difficult and simple is the opposite of complicated and something can be simple and also difficult. Like it can be really difficult to find a simple solution for a complex problem, but that's what you should always be striving for. Like you should always be striving for the simple, but difficult route instead of the easy, but complicated route. Yeah. And simple, I mean, yeah, it's a great point. And simple is also relative. Um, it should be simple, hopefully, ideally to your lowest common denominator because if you have 10 years of experience in some field, something simple to you is probably not going to be simple to an entry-level engineer coming in. But you want to try and build the thing simple for them um, if you can. I know that's really hard, but I think there's just like simple things that, you, that I've seen so often where it's like, well, this is a cool, tricky way to do this. I'm like, you could just rewrite this uh, and it will look like, you know, my first JavaScript program, but it'll be really easy to read. And it's going to be really be hard pressed for you to find me a reason why it's not better to do it that way. Absolutely. And like you said, it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's hard to write, write simple code like that. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, you say it's hard to write something that's simple enough for some of the junior developers to understand, even if it's dealing with like a complex system. But that's that is the sweet spot, because then it's easier to onboard new people onto the team like that to me starts starts being a 10x developer because it just gets people into the code base faster and it gets people not just into it, but like if they're coming back to the, that code base, you know, like, <clears throat> for example, like we own a whole bunch of tools, a whole bunch of like different code bases. And so we're not always, you know, when we start working on something, it's been little while that we've worked on you kind of have to get your head back in that space and it's so much easier when the code is simple um overcomplicating code is like uh it's this i don't know it, it is it's something that happens and i think that um there's a progression where at the very beginning you're writing simple code just because that's the only thing you know when you get into kind of your the, the mid-range you are really starting to complicate things because it makes you feel smart. And I, I went through that too. And then I feel like you kind of come out the other side, uh, simplifying again and kind of, and it, but it takes going through that. And I, I hope I'm at that point. I don't know for sure that I'm, you know, through the other side of, of not overcomplicating things, but, but I would, I would hope to be. Yeah. Um, these other two, the, the 80 percenter, frankly, I like, I've never seen this. Um, 
where someone just like gets to sort of the end and just like dumps. Yeah, this is gonna. I know this is kind of funny. It's like, well, no, your ticket's not done, so why don't you finish yeah. the last twenty percent? I've never seen that. And then the point hog. Um, I've been this person, and I've like. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, <laughs> if there's a ticket on the board, it has to get done. I don't think that this is a yeah. really great thing. I I think there's more like money in us mining the good behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the other thing is like sometimes you have a long stretch of really complicated tickets and you just need a whole bunch. You need a string of like, yeah, I'm going to like whatever, update the dependencies or whatever. I'm just going to like bump versions yeah. of things for the next <laughs> Just give me a two. break. Um, yeah. All right. So I want to, if we're talking, if we're getting to oh, the, yeah. the next section, which is the, it's basically the, 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 the skills that like actually make somebody into a more productive developer, a 10x developer, we'll say. Um, we're going to start with my favorite one, the Rocket Turtle. <laughs> I love that name. It's <laughs> I love that. So, oh, we didn't we didn't actually go go through these yet. But there's the Rocket Turtle, which is slows down to speed up. Um, there is the Focuser, who focuses and reduces distractions. The Professor, who has deep subject matter expertise. The Obsessor, can't stop, won't stop. Uh, the Interrogator, questions everything. Oh, there's a lot of these. The subcontractor who prefers to farm it all out and the simplifier who always finds an easier way. And that's, see, we just talked about the simplifier, but let's uh, let's talk about the rocket turtle. I just love that name. I also love, I, I, like for a long time, I've liked this idea of slowing down to speed up. We actually, in my previous role as uh, auxiliary engineering, where we would embed on teams, we would kind of frame things like this too, because a lot of what we focused on was testing and, and teaching people how to write good unit tests. And sometimes we would hit some friction with that because people would say, well, it's like, it's going to slow down this project if, if we have to add tests with every, you know, with every uh, feature or every commit. And, and I did use that phrase, you, you slow down to speed up because like you are introducing potentially a little bit of, of extra time at the beginning. It's not always, to be honest, because I've found that like it evens out even in the short term. Um, but in the long term, you are able to move so much more quickly because of the, in my opinion, the main thing that you get from a good test uh, test suite, which is confidence in your code. You can just move through that code base so much more confidently, change things around, and add features, and you know that you're not breaking things. And so that's this whole idea. I, I love the idea of like putting more effort in at the beginning in order to have much more long-term velocity. Yeah, I think there's another, there's a lot of practical application to this one. Um they're, the way that this framed in the article is saying you like go get tutorials, you reach out to experts, you do deep research, which feels like you're not being productive. You're not getting those dopamine hits of like, oh, here's a commit, here's a commit, here's a commit. But then at the end, you write the right thing. Uh, and it's like kind of all done because you did all that extra research. I think you can also extrapolate that out to other things in the more meta analysis of this is like, Focus, think about developer experience and like invest time in improving your tooling or something like that before you go in the next rush of feature development um, because the, those minutes shave hours, shave days. And you can make that same rocket turtle approach, I think, to sprints and to whole teams. Uh, you know, if you can make the sale to like your the people who you're beholden to, I think it's a worthwhile investment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
the focuser is another good one. So like basically, uh, uh, you know, focus, he starts off this section saying the average office worker checks email once every six minutes, which totally lines up with, with my experience. It's not email, but it's Slack. It's like Slack. Yeah. Oh man, it's the worst. I, uh, I actually like wrote myself a little app that will, when I have it turned on, which I don't always remember to turn it on. And I know there's apps that like do this anyway, but it closes my Slack for me. It basically like every, I can set the time and say every hour it'll turn on my Slack for five minutes and then it'll automatically shut it down after those five minutes. And so if I can always open it back up, but it's always a good reminder to like focus, to like stop talking, you know, there's stuff can wait for an hour on Slack and just get some work done. And it's so, it makes an enormous difference because of what they're talking about here. It's just the the focuser. So I am not the focuser clearly, but the, uh, the focuser is a, a big asset to a team. Yeah. I wish I was the, fo- I like at one point in my life, I was much better at focusing for long stretches of time. In fact, I would like forget to eat. Um, when I was younger, I was like, just I don't like I would take apart a clock. I used to do this. Like I would take things apart and like see how they worked and put them back together. And I'd do that for like seven hours. And then I would never like I wouldn't look at anything else. Now I am old. Then this is pre-cell phone and pre-internet. So this is yeah. probably leading into the current point, which is I am not this. I literally have my phone in my hand everywhere I go all the time. I and know. I like I've tried to break this habit. It's it's devastating. I am so bad at it that I find myself like uh, squirreling out of things by looking at my phone where I really should be focusing. But instead, I like bail out to check Slack again. And because it's yeah. like this productivity uh, hit where I'm like, oh, I answered a question. But that's not yep. really what I'm getting paid to do. Well, it is, but it's not really. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of like the 10x developer, it's like you can you can uh, answer one question on Slack and you save that person maybe 20 minutes of doing their own uh, doing their own investigation. Or you can like focus on maybe like what you're supposed to doing, which might even be I'm not exactly sure what you're working on right now, but it might be like developer tooling or something like that where you might be having a much bigger impact. It's just not as immediate and it's not as satisfying. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. So if you have any tips on how to improve focus, everybody tells me to meditate and I'm like, fuck you, man, because I'm like, I'm not good at meditating. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. Uh, okay, let's move on to another one because this is making me sad. Um, the subcontractor. Here's a, here's a good one. Um, the description here is abs- like some developers love to reinvent the wheel, other developers look for libraries, APIs, tools, OSS, you know, whatever, um, to solve problems. And they mentioned like, you know, it's not always a good idea, but more often than not, you can save a lot of time and energy. And this is definitely something that I think is a mark of someone good. It's like, is this a solved problem? Is there something that reasonably covers our feature, our acceptance criteria? And I don't have to build it because yes, building it gives you like, oh, I did it. I look good, blah, blah, blah. But solving the problem is like better for the customer. So um, I I love this one. I've seen it, uh, you know, at other companies where you're allowed to use a lot of third-party stuff. Um, I think it's reasonable to at least like part of your uh, research for your task should be like, is this a solved problem? Is there something that I can do to make this easier on myself and my team? And then like, does it fit? Blah, blah, blah. Do like a little bit of research. At least just look first before you build something. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, there's kind of a funny thing came up this week uh, with third-party solutions. So Cypress has a uh, has a paid, you know, Cypress is an open-sourced uh, end-to-end testing tool. They have a paid uh, system where you kind of get access to a dashboard and they do some, uh, they do some kind of, um, you know, analysis on your, on your tests and all that. I, there's an, a, I think it's a new open source library called sorry Cypress, which is the open source version of that. It's basically like, you know, that, but you don't have to pay for it. And I just thought that was funny. It's called oh, sorry, the, the Cypress dashboard thing. Where yep. It's like cheats it. <laughs> I yep. remember looking at that a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. So I want to talk about two of these uh, in a row. We're trying to stick to, to, you know, today we're really making an effort. We're going to try and stick to 35 minutes. Go, we'll Joe, go, 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 go. You can go, do go. it. Um, so I want to talk about these two in a row. There's the obsessor who can't stop, won't stop, and the interrogator who questions everything. And I want to talk about them because I feel like I have worked recently with two of these people. Um, I think I think of uh, this person we both work with, Artie, as the obsessor because it's basically like he will go as deep as he needs to to get to the bottom of a problem. And like sometimes that will – it's just always you know something that I think the average developer would spend – an hour, two hours digging into. And if they didn't get to the solution where they felt like they had a like really solid understanding of the underlying, uh, what was happening. And, and I'm talking like at a deep, deep level, um, he goes all the way. He just, he just sticks with it until he understands it. And, uh, it's led to some really interesting uh, like conversations for one thing, but also tools. Like he built this open source, um, uh, just, it's called like just strict mode, strict mode, where it will make sure that if you're writing tests, you are not doing anything asynchronous in there. Um, that is, uh, that's happened. That's basically like n- not being returned. So you, it's basically making sure that you don't have any like, um, dangling asynchronous requests in your test. It will, it, it's a, it's a lint warning. So it will check for those things, but he had, he had to dive super deep into some, uh, so li- some libraries to like, to make this thing work. Well, yeah, I mean, I remember this and I want it's worth saying just one minute about was there were just tests that were passing or failing without any determinism. And what, if I remember correctly, this person dug so deep into like how Jest runs the test that he was finding that hanging asynchronous requests were resolving in the, in the scope of the next describe block. Yeah, or something, and then resolving those tests like arbitrarily, yep. so that we didn't know why <laughs> things were passing or failing because they were based on like timeouts or response times. It was wild. Artie will actually. This person is like, we'll go Mariana Trench deep on something. It is unbelievable, <laughs> and that also fits the other archetype, which is the professor, which is someone who goes really, really deep. Uh, our, this person's also a generalist. He's just spectacular. So he's probably what I would call one of these ten x developers in reality, not like the myth. Like he really is really, really good. Um, but the, they go really deep and then have this like super deep knowledge of an entire area that you can go to with any problem. They'll be able to resolve it much faster than anybody else because they're the only person to ever go that deep. So the obsessor and the professor tend to go hand in hand. Um, That's why I just noticed those, those rhyme. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, the interrogator is a great one. Um, Yeah. The interrogator is often, like it says, uh, it will probably annoy you, but they're obsessed with not solving problems that don't need to be solved. They ask why and why and why again and again and again, and like make (laughs) you spell out why you're solving something. 
um, which I love because the interrogator will will like stop in their tracks. The Rude Goldberg guy, you know, the um, people who are like trying to write a million lines of code, they'll ask, are you even writing the right thing? They'll stop a lot of these in their tracks because they they force you to say, is this what we should be working on? And is this the right solution? Should we find a third party? This covers a lot of the bases that we're talking about here. Uh, but it is also, they also mentioned, sadly, they rarely get credit for their efforts because you don't, you don't win points for the things you don't build, yeah. um, you know, and the, and the mistakes you don't make, which the interrogator often is the person that diverts you from those things. Yeah, definitely. This, so <clears throat> in my mind, this is, uh, somebody we work with Dan, Dan, in my mind is like the, it, the epitome of the interrogator. Um, he doesn't, I, I, I'm not going to say Dan annoys people. I think a lot, I think everybody likes Dan, but, uh, because it, this thing starts out with the interrogator probably annoys people, but that's not the, that's not the part I'm talking about. If you're listening to Dan, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying you annoy people. You're a delight. Um, yeah. But, uh, but like always asking why, and like, I think it's like, it matters who they're asking why to, because like what Dan will do, he, he's not afraid to ask why to, uh, leadership and management. It's not just asking why to the person building the, the, the thing, you know, the overcomplicator. It's like asking leadership, well, why do we need this? And I think most people like would be, uh, they would just sort of take that as like, yeah, that's what leadership wants. We got to do it. But but Dan is just not afraid to to make sure it, he's not asking why in a way that's like, well, why do we even need? It's like, no, really, like earnestly. Why? Why do we need this? What's kind of I don't I, I don't understand. He's like um, it's almost like he's he seems like he he's like playing the fool sometimes to try and uh, try and like uh, get the other the opposite perspective so that so that not so that. Not because he actually doesn't understand, but to make sure that the other person has thought it through all the way. And I think that's the real value of the interrogator is, is proving out that this other person has thought through. Um, I think like a, a corollary here or like a, a compliment to the interrogator is the there. This isn't on this list, but it's like the denier. It's basically somebody who defaults no. And there's so much value in that. And it's the same kind of thing. They rarely get credit for their efforts because like, if you just default to saying no to things, you can get so much done of the things that are actually important and you can really prioritize the work. So that's, uh, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's also the gatekeeper. You know, it's like, you also don't want to just be a gatekeeper. You say no five times to say yes, because then innovation can stagnate too. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. Well, so to, to wrap it up, um, don't do the ones that are bad and do the ones that are good. Uh, and that's it. That's pretty much the whole thing. Yeah, I think so. Also, I, think I hate I was, this term. I just hate the term 10x developer. I do too. It, it's, it makes yeah. me feel icky because like, also, I know that there are people who are better than me. Let's not give them a name. Uh because then it gets like a boogeyman uh, that there's this, the 10x developers out there and I'll eventually be replaced by them. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only other thing I was going to say is this idea, like the the thing that I always think of when the, the idea of a 10x developer comes up, which we've already talked about. I, I said I was going to talk about it again. There's not too much else to talk about, but it's like somebody who's going to lift everybody else up. And I think that's like, that's kind of another um, you don't always get credit for that. You know, you, you sure get credit when you write 10,000 lines of code. You're definitely getting credit for that. But if you're kind of mentoring and helping uh, sponsor other people or help other people onboard onto a team, like that's that is raising everybody's productivity. Uh, and like you're going to you're just going to be a much more productive team in the long run. Yeah, there's um there are some funny comments on the article. If you scroll down, 
Um, oh, I didn't. I didn't read the comments. Yeah. So like, never read. Never read the comments. That's the rule, isn't it? I'll just give you the TLDR. It's Mike. It's probably Mike Rittenden. Uh, the their last paragraph was. So the moral was, even if you can find a mythical 10x developer, don't hire them. Just 1099 them to do a piece in solitude because they'll destroy the team culture and morale if integrated into the team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think this goes along with the 10x, uh, like the myth of the arrogant asshole developer. Um, that's like they're faster than everybody, better than everybody, so they kind of alienate the team. Um, there's like a bunch of other articles about that. We could do another one at another time. I don't yeah. think that's always true, but I I do think there is a lot of overlap in the Venn diagram with people who are not, who don't have good soft skills and who meet some of these productivity bars. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. I think that's going to wrap it up for this article. We did a pretty good job, not to pat ourselves on the back, but I did. I'm pretty proud of us for sticking to close to the time that we that we, yeah. we said we we're going to. We just can't blow it here because what we can't did, blow it. What we do and what are you learning is we'll fucking tangent and then talk for like 45 minutes. Okay, so what's That's the question? Right. Oh. What are you learning? What are you learning? What are you learning? <laughs> that is never going to get old to me. I'm sure our listeners already hate it. <laughs> Not just our listeners. Uh, <laughs> no, I've come to enjoy it because of your childlike wonder uh, oh, when you it. do it every time. Uh, okay. What am I learning? Uh, I'll start because you asked me, mm -hmm. uh, I'm still learning TypeScript obviously. Cause that's like a, apparently a forever problem. Oh, um, and, uh, how are you liking TypeScript? Is that like a, how's that work? I'll, that get, I'll get back to you. Good? We're going to do a TypeScript episode. I won't get caught. <laughs> I won't get caught with your, <laughs> with this again. What I am learning now is, uh, I'm going back through and we actually did an episode on a state management library called signals. Uh, Preact signals a couple episodes ago. I am currently doing a, a grand tour of all of the state management opportunities available in React. Nice, because um, I think we ha I have a, a rare application that probably would benefit from a state management library. It has very complicated state that's passed around a lot of places and is filtered and sorted and handled in a lot of different ways. Uh, so I think state management might simplify. The application, which is currently using a lot of memoization and callbacks to prevent re-renders, and I think if we had something like Recoil, potentially, um, it you know it might uh, help the application readability out. So I am going through the docs for right now: Recoil, Akita, Hook State, and going back through Redux docs uh, just to make a decision on what would be That's the nice. best way to go. Nice. That sounds great. Uh, do you ever work with um, X state? It's like a state, not state management, but state, like a state machine library. It's probably different from what you're talking about. I uh, remember a shop talk show episode on X state where they had the person who wrote it on. And then that's about it. I've never touched it since. So I, I could add that to the list. Yeah, uh, check it out. It might not be like exactly what you're looking for, but state machines, working with state machines can make things really easy and, or like simple and, and clear because you kind of can't do the wrong thing a lot of times. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what are you learning? What am I learning? So um, today I have like a, a, a today I learned rather than a what am I learning? It's like what I learned today. Um, so this might be surprising. Uh, it, so I, I learned something new in uh, Next.js, which is something that is like kind of one of the big features of Next.js. And so I was like, I think if you've worked with Next.js a lot, you probably, this is not going to be news to you, but um, I, I didn't 
realize that, and I think it's because I've never, uh, I just haven't come across this situation, but I, you know, I was, I didn't realize that when you, uh, when you aren't using SSR in Next.js, you still uh, need to, you know, you can't use the window, you can't use browser globals. I assumed it was similar to Webpack where Webpack is like, yeah, your code gets built at build time in a node environment, but like you can still refer to the window because it's not executing at build time. But Next.js, um, even in even in like a static uh, static SSG static uh, site gener- generation, um, it will output the HTML from your React code, so it needs to execute your React code. And uh, if you have any references to window in there, that's going to fail. Um, and I was just surprised by that. It, but but like that's kind of the the kind of that's a little bit besides the point because the the feature part of this the the, the thing that makes this good is when you uh, when you build your Next.js site, it's not just starting like create React app does. It's not just like shipping an empty HTML page with all of your application later to be like added into a into a div uh, pure JavaScript. It's shipping the HTML. So that's what this build process does. It like outputs the HTML onto the onto the uh, or sorry, it outputs the React code onto the HTML, similar to server-side rendering, except then it's just a built static page. And then that HTML gets shipped to the client and then it gets hydrated uh, client side. Anyway, this is probably not news to, to a lot of our, our, a lot of our listeners, but um, it was kind of this one fundamental thing that, that I was missing. And it's kind of funny how that happens when you're like, you think you know something pretty, pretty well, pretty inside and out. And you're all of a sudden you're like, whoa, this kind of like, you know, I learned something new. Well, cool. Um, I'm, I like this idea of what did you learn today versus what are you learning? That's kind of a more sustainable <laughs> long-term <laughs> approach. Um, yeah. So is that it? That might be it. Should we, um, should we, we got, we're keeping see. it tight. We're keeping it tight. Keeping it tight. I think it's about that time. To sail away. <laughs> Good news cruise. <laughs> Bird <laughs> that one will never get old to me. I it it, it always not. puts me in a better mood. Yeah. Kinda like this one. What are you doing? That one too. It's just oh, so smooth. Man. I, my blood pressure was coming down <laughs> precipitously and then it just spiked again. Uh, at least I didn't play the foghorn. The real yeah, foghorn? No, don't play that. Um, no. <laughs> I have I answered first. What am I learning? What's your good news? What's my good news? My good news is it's pretty light, uh, pretty light good news today. It's fall. My good news is just that it's fall and it's beautiful weather here in New England. We're talking about a trip up to uh, to Salem, our annual Salem trip. We're going to see you. I hope you know we were we were if if our schedules line oh, up. Oh yeah, we're, we're, we're going to hopefully see you. Uh, that's my good news. I mean, that's good news. I love it. Uh, also, I would, you know, that'd be great. We can do a live runtime runtown episode. Our families can watch us and be mad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's good news. Okay. My good news is also pretty light. Well, actually, subject matter <laughs> is heavy. Uh, this is a great story about <laughs> a, a young girl from Ukraine. She's 10. Uh, they had uh, They had to leave the country. And they went all the way to, they like had to leave the country. They left way, way out. Um, and she had to leave her cat behind. And she used to sleep with her cat every night. And then like a bunch of people got involved 
five countries and 7,000 miles of distance. And they reunited this girl with her cat where she was staying wow. in San Francisco, um, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, she was, news. she was like, she was staying in Seattle. I don't know all the details, but I just know that now she's got her cat again. And I always love seeing stuff like that when people band together to do like ridiculously hard acts of kindness for one person and makes their life much better. Yeah, that is great. I'll be honest. I'm really glad that I knew that this is our good news section because when you prefer, when you started talking about the cat, I was like, oh, I don't know. I, uh, but then I remembered, oh, this is our good news section. So it's, everything's going to be okay. I mean, I, I got more. If you want more happy news, I can, I can give good news all day. Oh, we got a twofer? Sure. Australia set aside 30% of its landmass to protect unique Australian creatures, which I can only assume is all the things that murder you, like snakes and spiders and stuff, <laughs> because Australia is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Australia is terrifying. We, we've been, we've been you know, getting into like different world animals and stuff like that with my little, with my four-year-old. And he goes, he, he, uh, he specifically asked my wife to um, to show him a picture in a book uh, of I'm trying to remember what the what the picture was. I think oh, it was a picture in a, in a bug book of a like a this ant with these really intense pinchers. He like asked to sit in the chair, open the book to that page to look at it. He wanted her to tell him what it was, and then he we closed the book and he said, "I don't ever want to go to Australia." That's <laughs> a smart kid. I mean, he knows what it's about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's pretty cool. They have a plan that they're calling the Threatened Species Action Plan, colon, toward zero extinctions. It's like an awesome name for a plan. And they're nice. trying to save 110 species. Um, so that's really cool. That's a twofer for you. That's great. That is good news. All right. Are we going to call it? I think that might be. That's a tight 45. That's, that, that's, that's, a, that's a full quarter less, uh, like I'll, 15 <laughs> minutes less than our normal yeah. episodes. I'll take it. So, all right. I think that's all right, it. Dear listeners, um, go to runtimerundown.com. That's right. Uh, and comment because almost no one has, and it's really depressing. So, that yeah. would be great. Leave some comments. We also got a new section on there uh, for questions. So, I was thinking it might be fun if we get enough questions, we could do some kind of like mailbag. Uh, where we read listener questions and stuff like that. Yeah, that would be amazing. So go leave comments and po- post questions. We can do a potluck of some time. Oh, that's can't say that. That's in Texas thing. We'll it's do a question trademark. Thing. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna sue us now. Well, anyways, we will see you all next week. Thank you for listening.